Welcome to the Achieve Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Feldman, and each month we explore the research, strategies, successes, and even the failures behind some of today's best fundraising and marketing for causes. As we explore each one of these, we'd like to invite different types of guests that will explore their own unique takes on what really works today and will leave us a little intrigued on what they're working on for the future. This podcast is supported in partnership with the Festival of Children Foundation. My guest this month is Stacy Palmer. She's the editor of the Chronicle of Philanthropy. She served in that position since 1988, and she oversees all of the Chronicle services, including Philanthropy Today, the daily newsletter, its webinar programming, and its editorial content. Stacy is also frequently on radio and television, offer commentary on what's happening in the nonprofit sector as well as what are the trends today in philanthropy. We're excited that she's joining us on this edition of the Achieve Podcast. Hi there and welcome, Stacy. Great. I'm so glad that you could join us. Thanks for asking me. Absolutely. All right. So I've actually known you for a while. Um, you know, that's sort of my disclaimer here, but my audience may not or some of our following on the podcast here. So why don't you give us a little bit of background? How did you get to become the editor of the Chronicle of Philanthropy? I actually was here at the very start and it was almost 30 years ago that we decided to found the Chronicle of Philanthropy and nobody had any idea what it should be. Um, what kind of news would we cover? What kind of publication would we be? And that was before the internet. So we were actually a newspaper and we came out every two weeks and we pioneered how to cover the entire nonprofit world. We had to train reporters to do that. And I've had the chance to cover this world ever since. Wow. So you started out in, in this field. I mean, what, what? tell me about the first edition or the first issue that came out. I'm curious. The cover of the very first issue looked back on the Reagan years and what that had meant for nonprofits and how dramatically things had changed. That was really the first time that we saw this real cut in federal money and a rise in private support. So everyone was looking to hire fundraisers um, and the field was really beginning to professionalize. That's why you know we got started. Um, and another lead story that we did was about the rise of women foundation executives. Um, Rebecca Rimel had just been named to head Pew. MacArthur had appointed its first female president. And all of a sudden people said the world is changing in dramatic ways. Um, and so that was was stunning for philanthropy at the time. Yeah, I, I suspect. When, when did you know that, hey, this this thing is going to work? I mean, people, people are enjoying the news about philanthropy in general. Some people did wonder whether there was enough news to cover, and that's what people cautioned us about. They said, why are you starting an entire newspaper? Right, and right. We had no concerns about that fact. We knew that there was lots of news to cover. What we didn't know was whether there was really a business that could support it. Would people subscribe? Do they you know, does the head of the American Red Cross have something in common with the head of a food bank? And will they see themselves in the same world or will they want us to write just about colleges, just about hospitals, those kinds of things? Right. And I think that's been our challenge all along. And as the field grapples with that, um, there's great commonality of interest, but there's also real difference both in size of organizations, missions, approaches. We try to bring everybody together and help them see what they have in common um, and see what they can learn from each other. But I think that continues to be a struggle for the entire nonprofit world. And I, and I suspect as you as you go along, some of the focus has changed at times. I mean, I mean, do you recall over the 30 years some of the changes in scope or you know some critical points? One of the things that we really realized our audience was craving was not just news 
issues and information, but how-to advice. And so as we've gone through the years, people, you know, were turning to our archives, looking for us as an unbiased place to get information. Um, and they asked us to really increase the amount of how-to information that we provided because they felt that there weren't enough places to necessarily get that information. And while there are certainly tons of providers that um, offer information, we, we just didn't see enough of it. So one of the things we did in the past couple of years was put all of that into a resource center that has tons of information. And a uh, source of ours, when we were asking questions about what we could do better, said, you guys are great when I want to know whether it's smart to do a gala or not smart to do <laughs> a gala. But what I really need to know is my boss wants me to do a gala, and I need to know round tables or square tables. Please tell me that. <laughs> uh, so we've upped our information on that. So now there's a whole round table, square table section, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let, let's talk about the big news in philanthropy, at least this year. Boy, it's been a year, right? I, I would say there's been a lot of change. I mean, what's the big story you think happening in philanthropy this year? Well, certainly the Trump effect has been something we've been covering in many ways, and that has so many different dimensions. Obviously, we saw that rise in giving from the second the election happened, um, and certainly a rise in activism and people thinking in different kinds of ways about charitable giving. And the question for us now is how long is that going to be sustained? Are we going to see continued increases in giving? And who's going to be the winners and losers in that? Um, we're also obviously looking at all the policies that affect nonprofits, things like restrictions on advocacy or maybe the loosening of the restrictions on advocacy, um, funding for nonprofits. How's that going to go? The issues that nonprofits care about, you know, so something like making sure that, you know, immigrants and refugees are protected. So there's such a range of issues that we scramble every day to try to keep up with them all. In terms of where you have journalists, are they inside in the White House? Or talk about how you cover this administration right now. I would say one of the challenges of covering this administration is that there aren't people who specialize in nonprofit issues. And that's always been a challenge with most White Houses. It's not that there usually is, you know, a point person, but usually there's somebody who has that as a piece of their responsibility and enough so that they can talk to us about the policies that affect the field and they're interacting more regularly with foundations and nonprofits in a systematic way. And this White House has yet to do that. Um, so we gather information in various ways. Um, we were able to cover the aftermath of a meeting that Vice President Pence had with a number of nonprofit leaders because they you know, made clear that they wanted us to know what was going on and the substance of that kind of meeting. So that was helpful. But, you know, it's been hard for people to figure out who's actually setting the agenda on right. nonprofit policies. Um, and as nonprofits face that struggle, so do we. <laughs> I suspect so. You're probably getting sometimes that information at the same time we all might be in some way, shape or form. So let's talk about some of the newer models of giving and and so forth, because you obviously cover the, the philanthropy spectrum, both from the fundraising side, the grant making side and others. What, what's your view or what, what you've been noticing coming out of the Zuckerberg Chan scenario that we, we are hearing about? That's one of the most fascinating stories in philanthropy. And what we're looking at a lot is the ways that so many donors, um, Chan Zuckerberg's most interesting because of the amount of billions that they're committing to sure. good causes. But the way in which donors like that are structuring uh, they're giving so that 
part of it might be a traditional foundation, part of it is an advocacy organization, part of it is a technology organization, and part of it is an organization that invests in companies that are doing good. Um, and so, you know, you see a number of donors, especially those in Silicon Valley, thinking about their philanthropy that way. It's no longer just about the grant making. It's really about all of those facets. Um, and it's going to be exciting to see whether that model works, whether you really have to pursue social change in all of those ways and how it works. It's going to be a struggle to cover it, however, because there aren't the kind of reporting requirements that foundations have to follow. So we don't necessarily know where the grants are going except out of the foundation. Yeah. Is that is that sometimes some of the struggle with even the corporate side of this, right? Even corporate philanthropy trying to cover it when the reporting is quite different than, say, the 990 systems and so forth we have. Absolutely. Corporate philanthropy is very hard to know what, you know, because there are no requirements that you report other than out of your foundation. So I think one of the things we're going to see, because there are so many issues about transparency, both corporate foundations, these new Silicon Valley efforts, they're often referred to as LLCs um, that have these umbrella structures. We see donor advised funds, people raising questions about the fact that there are no reporting requirements on those. So the issue of sunshine and transparency is probably going to come up a great deal in the nonprofit world in the next few years. I suspect there's also some some things that you keep a pulse on all of the time just to kind of see what's going to happen. What are those issues that you've been you've been kind of tracking over the course of the year or two that you're really interested in? One of the things we've looked at is the drop in the number of people who seem to be giving to charity. And we just issued a study called How America Gives where we were really able to document a decline in the number of people who are reporting itemized donations. And just about a week later, the Lilly School came out with a similar study looking at their um, information. They, they were looking at a bit of a different data set. And it's striking to see this drop in the number of people who are giving. Now, obviously, overall, we've seen giving has been increasing. So it's not that you know charitable giving is dropping, but the number of people who are the donors appears to be declining. And some people worry that the recession caused some people to sort of drop the giving habit. Um, and how do we win those people back? And why is it that they're alienated from charitable giving? Um, so those are some of the questions we're going to pursue over the next few years to better understand that. Yeah, I mean, I would suspect some of it also is the rise of what we were talking about, that Trump effect, right? Because we've found in our own research that giving has dropped or, you know, and if you look at the total actions that our panels were taking down to nine and 10, you know, they were doing activism and even nothing before giving as well. I mean, do you, do you see activism rise sort of counter that maybe? Absolutely. And I, you know, I think it gets to the question of, you know, what is the most effective way to change society? Yeah. Is money really going to help? Or do you need to get out in the streets and do that and be in touch with your lawmakers and do those kinds of things? So, you know, I do think it's about the changes that we're seeing. But certainly for most nonprofits, cash really matters a lot. Um, and that's what empowers the advocacy in so many ways. So it's worrisome to see any declines in people maybe feeling that their charitable donations aren't as meaningful as they should be. Yeah, yeah, I suspect that. And I think that's maybe uh, maybe kind of getting to another question I want to ask around fundraising. I mean, where do you see fundraising going then today? You, you, obviously, the America Gives piece comes out and says, you know, we have a little bit of a drop. Where, where do we go from here? One of the questions I think nonprofits have is, you know, they're certainly focusing a lot on major gifts. And if I were running a nonprofit, that's what I might do too, because that's certainly where the money is. Um, but, you know, is that coming at the expense of 
making people feel engaged for the long run? And do we need to find other ways to get people involved? We think how capital campaigns work. Um, we think ways of, you know, the annual fund that colleges and universities are doing a lot of thinking about that. And that's changed in part because of all the crowdfunding approaches. People have lots of different ways to give. And it might be that the data we all have is a little bit fluky anyway, because people might be giving in such different ways that we're not capturing that kind of giving. So, uh, but I think nonprofits feel pretty strongly that they need to change and really capture uh, the millennial donor who's really thinking in different ways. And that's what obviously you've been thinking about for such a long time. But also, what's going to happen to the generation behind it? What are they going to demand of nonprofits? And are we thinking about that? Yeah, and, and you know, we we often say now that it seems some of the the nonprofits are are kind of structured to focus on money, right? Or volunteer, or the heavy volunteerism and time um, versus all of the assets of the individual, whether it's their voice and everything else. What's your view on that? I mean, do you think that we're? I mean, we're talking about philanthropy and fundraising in general, but are nonprofits structured the way they should be? I do think nonprofits need to think more about the people they're reaching out to, to listen to them. And you know, one of the efforts that's exciting in the field of philanthropy um, is you know the group of grant makers have come together in the Fund for Shared Insight. And part of what they're looking at is not just how do they treat grantees, but how do grantees listen to their beneficiaries, the people they serve. Right, yeah. So efforts to encourage more reaching out to say, how can we do this better? Um, and are we really, you know, are we looking out not just at our supporters and people who can help us, but, you know, how do we relate to the people who we're trying to help? Are we talking to them enough? Um, so, you know, I think because there's so many different ways to communicate and share information. People are being more thoughtful about that, but that puts a lot of demands on nonprofits to be able to do that as well as raise money, provide services, yeah. do all those kinds of things. And that's why I, you know, my concern about making sure that nonprofits have enough cash is it takes money to hire people who can do all of these things, and we need to make sure that nonprofits can work in all these different dimensions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think. We have this dual challenge, right, where the constituent, we went from having constituents to now having donors, and we realized they're the same people, right? They're all interested in doing stuff. Exactly. Now the question is, is how do we prioritize uh, when? So I have to ask, I know you talk about overhead a lot at times, and you've written about it and so forth. I mean, do you think the general public cares, or is this just a sector thing? Oh, the public cares deeply about overhead. Um, and, you know, I think one of the challenges that nonprofits have had is trying to get that message out about what overhead is and whether you love or hate Dan Pallotta and people have strong feelings. <laughs> yeah. The t-shirt that he wears that says, I am overhead, to remind everyone that it's the people who work in the nonprofit world, that's usually what we're talking about. It's not necessarily such expensive technology systems or doing that really the costs are the people and you want the best people doing the work um, and I think nonprofits haven't done a great job of explaining overhead just sounds like there's awful bureaucracy and wasted money um, and instead we need to find a better way to explain that you can see that with the disasters that just happened the Red Cross faced really tough questions um, about its overhead rates um, and some of your listeners might recall an NPR interview that was right done, yeah. you know, the person who was in charge of providing the disaster efforts, you know, was being 
drilled about, you know, what are your overhead costs? And he couldn't answer. And that just led to, you know, really a misimpression probably on the part of a lot of people that maybe he didn't care. And, you know, he's not the one who knew that. Um, But it just really reminded me of how much the general public, when they think about nonprofits, they ask that overhead question instead of asking, you know, is the money doing any good? Is it getting results? Um, And what is this money being used for? They just seem to go to that overhead question. So we there's probably nothing more important than changing those perceptions, but it's really challenging to do it. Nonprofits have been working on that for decades. Um, so I'm hopeful, but I'm not sure we're going to see a change anytime soon. Yeah, I, I mean, is it a message thing? I would have thought, to be honest, that after the Dan Pallotta, you know, TED Talk, all of this other stuff, boy, we might have hit the curve. The tipping point is our Malcolm Gladwell would have said, right? But it feels like we're not, we still have this conversation. And, and I had a chance to to listen in on that NPR interview and got a little frustrated as, as I heard the, the journalist not really have an understanding of the field and asking the wrong questions in a way. I mean, what's your view? I mean, what will it take? That, that is one of the challenges is that the media doesn't necessarily understand that, but also that nonprofits need to be able to explain their impact in various ways. And one of the right. exciting things about all of the push that grant makers and others have put for evaluation and measurement you know, as they can tell that message about here's why we know what makes a difference, um, I think then that question about overhead will go away and we'll need to train reporters to ask that. Um, but, you know, it, it's very hard right now when if you go to a watchdog group, what do you find? You find information about right. overhead. Um, so if you're a donor who doesn't know very much about average organizations, where can you find out those questions about who gets results? Um, it's pretty challenging to find that. You have to, the donor has to do a lot of work to figure that out. Um, and you know, if somebody could come up with a system that made that easy for everybody to be able to get that on their smartphones, I think that would transform the world of charitable giving. Yeah, I would agree. All right, so a couple of last questions here. Uh, you know, there's a lot of research. I mean, you do research, we do research. How do we get it better into practice? I mean, you, you have an outlet to talk about it, but I, I, I suspect you have readers that, that crave certain things. And, and I mean, what do we need to do to have more people understand how to change or make a difference and use this better, use research better? I do think that people coming into the field now are more data-driven, and I think that's really exciting. Um, certainly, you know, when we started the Chronicle of Philanthropy, everybody said, you know, it's all about people and relationships and that's all it is. And they really <laughs> don't look at data at all. So I've seen a big change in that. And I think certainly um, the people who are coming into the workforce, um, whether they be millennials or people who have worked in business and are choosing a second or third career in nonprofits as the baby boomers get older, they're going to be using more data, asking about best practices and doing that. And they're going to look to find ways to be sure their organization is turning to research and data. But the real problem most nonprofits have is time. You know, people are scrambling, doing many, many different things. So it's not an unwillingness to look at the data. It's just that time pressure. So all of us who are in the field of providing information, we need to find ways to get it to folks in a way that can absorb really fast and recognize that they might only have five minutes to get this information. And so let's make sure that our five minutes are really worthy of their time. Yeah, you know, I suspect too, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, that it's also making, you know, it, it's not a let's use research when we need it, like I, like the person who comes to you and says, I need to figure out whether or not I have square tables or round tables, or should I do a gala? The question is, is how do we use research throughout the year and, and embed that in our decision making? Yeah, and I think that what 
leaders of nonprofits are going to have to do is really ask that question and look and find ways to do that so that it is a regular thing rather than just, oh, we have a new initiative. Now let's go look at the data. But every right. day that they're looking at measurements. And, you know, it's important to get people training on what is it that's worth measuring and what data is really worthwhile versus just giving people mounds and mounds of things. I think, unfortunately, at some organizations, because it's now so easy to measure every click and to look at everything, people are just inundated with information. We really need to zero in on what matters. So the organizations that have been able to hire data scientists to help them, um, all the power to them in terms of uh, translating that for the organization. But most organizations can't afford that. So, you know, if there's a way to get some volunteer help on that. I think that that would be an awesome thing for most organizations. Yeah, here, here. All right, so imagine uh, I was just coming into the field tomorrow. This is the young Derek, and really, really new to the field of the nonprofit world. What would you tell me as a new professional? What, what advice do you have for me? I think the most important thing would be to ask a lot of questions about how things are done and why they're done, um, and really offer as much advice as you can um, to your manager and be willing to you know, talk about the things that are working or not. I see a lot of especially boomer leaders saying that they really don't understand younger workers and they, they don't get them. And they always talk about it as them instead of saying we're all in this together. Um, and I hope young nonprofit professionals aren't turned off by that. Um, but just say that the mission is really important and we're going to find ways to overcome that. I don't think that that's easy to do, um, but this is a real period of change at most nonprofits. They need to think hard about how they achieve what they're doing and how they do good, and they need really a lot of creative new thinking from young nonprofit professionals. So stick with it even if it's tough. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Stacy, thanks. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Always great to talk to you. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Achieve Podcast. I want to say a special thanks to Stacy Palmer of the Chronicle of Philanthropy. And we look forward to having you next time on the Achieve Podcast.